Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may know or may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Paul now moves on in this last section of his letter to the Roman church. When I say the last section, we're going to be talking verses chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. But he now moves on in this last section of his letter to the Roman church to teach on how we should live as believers in light of all that he has just laid out for us. If you've been with us at all in our study, you'll know that he's been laying out the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he talked about how Jew and Gentile are both alike guilty before God. And God's salvation has always been for everyone. And it's by grace alone, through faith that you're saved. And how no one is righteous, no, not one. And he has laid out the gospel all, all throughout. And then he started dealing with the, the fact that we're loved in Christ in chapter 8. And then we moved into verse, chapters 9, 10, and 11 in the depth of his teaching and his eternal plan for the nation of Israel and all that. And now in this last section, he's going to move into how do we live our lives now with all of this theology that we've been given. And I can't wait to begin to break this all down. But before we do, there's something here in verses 1 and 2 that Paul does that got my attention as I studied for this study. I've been teaching and preaching on Romans 12, 1 and 2 for coming up on almost 40 years. And there's something here that jumped off the page at me that I've never really looked at, and I can't wait to show it to you. Look at how Paul starts his sec this section. He says, I appeal to you. Those words jumped off the page at me. He appeals to his readers to do what he teaches next should be our duty. Now, some of your translations say beg. Some translations say plead. Some of your translations say urge. And some even say beseech. So let's take a look at what is Paul doing when he appeals or begs or pleads or urges or beseeches. Actually, I found that Paul did this a lot. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So here again, he says, I appeal to you. I beg you. I beseech you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verses 1 and 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you. There's another one. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. That's what they used to say about him. He says, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So here as he's defending himself, he again says it twice. Here he says, I entreat you. I beg of you. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 3. 
Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond in the bond of peace. So there it is again. I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. Please listen to what I'm saying and do what I'm saying. Now, let's think for a minute and what's going on and who's saying this to us. The Apostle Paul, correct? Now, when you have the term Apostle, especially capital A Apostle, did not authority come with that? Wasn't he given authority? Couldn't he command them to do it? He had that authority. Well, he actually tells us himself, go to Philemon, go to Philemon, verses 8 through 14. In Philemon, verses 8 through 14, again, there's no other chapter except chapter 1. So Philemon, verses 8 through 14, Paul actually tells in his letter to Philemon why he is begging, why he is urging. And it's very important for us. I hope you listen closely to what he says here. In chapter 1, verse 8, accordingly, Paul says to, to Philemon, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father be I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Did you see that? If you know anything about the backstory here of this letter, Philemon was a wealthy man who had a slave named Onesimus. And the slave ran away, probably stole some things, according to the letter, and ran away. And while he was away, he met Paul. And he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Paul, when he found out that he had run away from a brother that he knew, sent him back. But when he sends him back, he sends him with this letter. And he says to Philemon, he said, I could command you to take him back and to treat him fairly, but I'm not going to use that authority. I'm going to beg you. I'm going to appeal to you because I want what you do, the right thing, not to be done under compulsion, but because your heart is open to it and you want to do it out of love and out of the right way. So doesn't that remind us of how the scripture talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, how God loves a cheerful giver, how nothing should be done under compulsion, but we should be responding out of our heart, not because we have to. And then I started thinking about that. I started thinking, you know what? That's how Jesus appeals to us, is it not? Doesn't Jesus have the authority to make us do stuff? But he doesn't. He appeals to us. This is how Jesus deals with us. He doesn't force us to obey. He pleads. He appeals. He, too, wants our response to be out of love and gratitude. And that's going to actually tie into where we're going tonight in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and how we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Could Paul command us? Yes, but that's not how Jesus would do it. Paul appeals to us like Jesus appeals to us. Go to Isaiah 65. Look at Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2, and listen to the heart of God. 
Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2. God's speaking, and he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Listen to that. As this prophecy is talking about how he's going to draw the Gentiles, and as we've been looking at, to make Israel jealous and all that, and to show his grace, he says, I said to them, here I am. Here I am. I'm right here. And I've held out my hands all the time to a rebellious people. Have y'all ever thought about the fact that salvation is kind of like a game of hide and seek? Have you ever thought about that for a second? Let that sink in for a minute. The Bible actually says no one will seek God unless the Spirit of God draws them first. God begins the game. He actually says, I'm here. I revealed myself to you through creation. I revealed myself through your conscience in and he's showing you the law in your conscience. I've used preachers. I've used teachers. I've used all sorts of many things. Here I am. Come find me. And you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. But then he says, you have to come respond. He doesn't force us to be saved. He appeals to us to be saved. And even to Christians, and you're going to see this tonight. This letter was written to the church at Rome. Even to Christians, he says... I appeal to you. Listen to what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses, just verse 20. Revelation 3 verse 20. This member was written to the church in Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. By the way, is he powerful enough to knock the door down? But that's not who he is. Or just walk through it. Exactly. But let me say this to you. God wants our response to be a natural of our own volition, of our own accord, like Paul told Philemon, of our own volition, willing, joyful, thankful, grateful response. Now, that's been something that I've had to wrestle with my entire life as a Christian because even though I knew my salvation was a gift of God, I was raised in churches that taught, now I have to do these things or God's not happy with me. And I did a lot of the right things for a lot of years, but I did them out of duty and obligation and guilt instead of it being something I wanted to do out of love. I heard a wonderful sermon by a man that I know in New Orleans Fred Luter, Pastor Fred Luter, he preached a sermon years and years ago back when I was in New Orleans called Changing Your Got-Tos to Get-Tos. Instead of got to go to church, I get to go to church. Instead of got to serve the Lord, I get to serve the Lord. And this, I believe, is where Paul is going tonight. When he says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers, because of the mercies of God to offer your bodies. As a living sacrifice. It needs to be our choice. We have a choice not only to respond to God's offer of salvation by grace and faith, but also we get to choose each day whether we will offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Do you realize that's the choice you get every morning when you wake up? 
You get to choose every day whether or not you're going to live for self or whether or not you're going to live for Jesus. This will not determine whether or not you get into heaven. If you're his, he's forgiven you of your sins. He's erased them. He's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. He's sealed you with his spirit. He's guaranteed your inheritance. But we now have to get to choose. We get to choose whether or not we're going to let him be in charge of our life. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we'll talk more about that later on. Or whether or not we're going to live for the flesh. Go to this, this offer of choice is all throughout the Bible. Go back to Joshua chapter 24. Go to Joshua 24. Look at verses 14 and 15. Some of you might even have this as a plaque on your wall in your house. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. God speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. I'm sorry, not, not through Moses, through Joshua to the people of Israel. And now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if it's a bad thing, choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to come back to that word serve a little bit later on tonight. But go to Romans 6. In Romans 6, look at verses 12 through 19. In Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 12, writing to believers, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members or your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will, no, will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to go ahead and sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness, I'm speaking, he says, in human terms, because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your body parts as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members, or your body parts, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You choose. You choose who this day who you're going to serve, whether you're going to serve the flesh with its passions and desires. And by the way, if you're like me, they wake up every morning too, don't they? Even though you might have had a great day yesterday and the next morning, you just assume you're going to pick up where you left off. Oh, no, we're in a battle. We've already dealt with all of that in chapters five and six and seven and eight and so on. We're in a battle. Remember how Paul said, the wretched man that I am, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. I got this battle going on. I find it a law to be at work, even though in my inner man, in my inner being, because I'm saved. I want to do God's will. I got this problem right there in my flesh, and it doesn't want to do the will of God. But the Bible says that we have a choice. And you get to choose. Could God force Jim Johnson to obey him? Yes. But he would rather I respond out of a worship. Oh, and not out of duty or obligation, but out of love. Now, 
This is where we're going to start going to break down chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that hopefully will help us in this area. We should submit ourselves to God in view of what? Of His what? In view of His mercy. In other words, because of His mercy, in gratitude for His mercy toward us. Remember, we've just finished up last week when we saw in chapter 11, verse 36, that this is all about God. It's from Him, for Him, to Him, through Him. It's all about Him. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Yet, in His mercy and grace, He's forgiven us of all of our sins and has chosen to use us for His purposes and His glory. And not only that, He promises to reward and bless us if we let Him use us as His servants. Sometimes in this life, most often, as the Bible says, in the life to come. So even though this is all about him, this is his plan. He put it in motion years ago. We've been talking about this, how he worked one way in the garden. He worked another way in the age of conscience. He worked another way during the time of the law. He's working another way in this church age. He's going to work another way during the tribulation period and again during the millennial kingdom. And then the eternal state. This is all his plan. And it's all been by faith in God through his grace and his mercy as how we're to be saved and how we're to respond to God. But he's worked it in different times in different ways. And this is his plan. And we now are in that time period of the time of the Gentiles, which he had planned all along. He's doing something with Israel, but he's also doing something with us, and we get to be a part of it. How many of us even sought him? Remember, he said, I was ready to be found by people who didn't even seek me. We weren't raised in this, but every one of us, even though none of us would seek God on our own, he began to draw us, and he let us choose. When we do, by faith, and he knows if our faith is real, he seals the deal. And then he says, not only that now, you're guaranteed heaven, but I still want to use you for my purposes of reaching others and other things he's doing, not just to get other people saved. There's a lot more to it than that. But you have to be willing to let me decide which way you go, what you do, what kind of job you have, who you marry, who you don't. I get to call the shots. I'm the owner of you. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. Let me show you something a lot of you may not know. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. This is free. This isn't in my notes. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. By the way, does that not go against a lot of the preaching and teaching we hear nowadays about you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do, you can dream big things for God, you can go and you're an overcomer and you can call the shots and you can name it and claim it. No, actually the Bible says that we surrender our lives to him. Lord, you've got a plan for my life. And as we see in the scriptures, some people's lives, in our estimation, are harder than others. Peter, here's how you're going to die, and it's going to be crucifixion. What about John? What if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. We're going to get into that next week when we start breaking down specifically the actual roles that each of us have been given as servants of God. We've all been not given the same role, the same responsibility, the same gifts. He's not expecting the same of all of us, which unfortunately the church taught. You ever heard the church teach, everybody should pull their equal weight? I'm going to show you scripturally that was never God's intention. You'll find way more joy if you find out what God's called and gifted you to do, and you understand what part of the body you are, and just work there, and let the Lord show you what He has you to do, not the nominating committee. But that's another sermon for another time. 
Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at how Paul looked at his role. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 12 through 17. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and in the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, sayings trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all of the ages, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't miss this. Twice Paul says in here, I received mercy for this reason. And God didn't just save me. He didn't just give me mercy. He gave me mercy for a purpose. And we're going to be moving into, are you saved? Praise God. Next question, why? If you've received mercy, why has he decide, decided to give you mercy? What does he want to do because of that? Go to Ephesians 2. You'll see it right there in Ephesians 2 in a passage that we all never really tied the whole thing together, probably many of us. We all could quote most of this, but not all of it. Go to Ephesians 2. Look at how you'll see that your salvation is not just so you can be saved, but for a purpose. In Ephesians 2, look at verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in what? Mercy. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Past tense. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you catch that? He doesn't just say, and he saved us, hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. No, he saved you for a reason. The fact that you're saved is a wonderful thing, but that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. He saved you for a purpose. He wants to use you. Paul came to realize that his call was to be a preacher to the Gentiles. And Paul got, says, look, I was one of the worst. I actually killed people who believed in Jesus. But to show his mercy, he chose me, one of the worst, to show that he'll save anybody. And on top of that, even though I'm a Jew of Jews, he sent me to go preach to Gentiles and to their kings. That he came to realize what his role was. 
Oh, I'm sure there are lots of people that said, Paul, I think you should be doing this too. Paul, we have this need over here. And when I used to be a pastor of churches and I used to be pastor here years ago, and you would be amazed how many ministries will contact you in your church. As to, would you help out with pregnancy resources? Would you help here with, with, with Walk for Bibles? Would you help out here with, with this ministry or Habitat for Humanity? And I used to think that when every need showed up, we had to meet it. And it hit me one day. We couldn't do all this. Even though our church is growing, we couldn't do all this. And God said, who said you're supposed to do all this? One of the reasons why my wife and I and our family joined the church that we're at right now, First Baptist Merritt Island, is the pastor who was the pastor at that time on the Sunday we visited there, preached a sermon and he made this statement. And First Baptist Merritt Island is a big church. He made this statement. He said, we are a big church, and there's a lot of things we can do ministry-wise, but we're not going to do them all. We're only going to be doing the things that God wants us to do. And he said this. He said, look, if there's a ministry that you think God wants you to be a part of, come see us, and we'll pray about whether or not you're supposed to be doing it here. And if we don't believe it's something God wants us to be doing it here, you're free to go somewhere else where that will be done. We're going to focus on the things that God has for us to do. And I turned to my wife and I said, I could be a part of a church like this. We're not going to try to do everything, even though we're capable of trying to do everything. We're only going to focus on what God has for us to do. And if that's not here for you, that's okay. We want you where God wants you to be using the gifts you've been given. Isn't that cool? You've been saved, but you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for things that he prepared in advance before you were saved that you would do. How many times have we read in the Bible that people came to realize that God set me apart for this job before I was born? I want that for each of my kids. I want them to not just find out what their career is going to be or their husband or wife's going to be. I want them to get to that place where they know this is why Jesus saved me. Thank God that I'm saved, but why? How do I fit into the body? And remember, some people are given five talents, others are given two, others are one, each according to their ability. I can't wait, but I'm not going to preach next week's message yet. But let me just say this to you. Take a deep breath. You will find his commands are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And when you find out what part of the body you are and how you fit into it, Christianity actually becomes a blast because you are finding what role he has for you. You were saved for a reason, but you won't ever find out what that role is. We'll get to that next week, but you won't find out what that role is until you're willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. When we say, Lord, I want to do this, he'll say, that's great. Thanks for telling me. I got a plan for your life, and it may line up with things that I put in your heart. But you got to let me call the shots of when and how and all that, and we'll deal with that more next week. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. Yes, ma'am. God knows the intents and desires of our heart. Mm -hmm. Sit there going, well, you put these intents and desires in my heart. You know, what am I supposed to do with them? But more and more, I just pray, may the intents and desires of my heart be the intents and desires that you have for me. Exactly. And, and we're going to deal more, Sheila, with that next week as well. I'm going to show you scripturally. Actually, there are times that God puts in our heart way before what he has for us, but it takes a while for us to get there. We try to go and make it happen right away. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart, 
But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And he says, and if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul's saying. He says, when we preach to you this gospel, we're doing it because this is what God saved us for in the role we've been given. But listen closely. We're not preaching ourselves. We don't want you to be followers of us. We're just simply servants of Jesus, and we're talking to you because Jesus wants you to know him, and we're his servants, and we're his mouthpiece, and we're his ambassadors. And we're not going to try to use underhanded ways. We're not going to use cunning and different ways to try to make things happen. We believe in the power of God, and if you understand it, God opened your eyes, and if you don't, the Satan's blinding you. And it's not about us. It's about him. But this is the role he's given us. Again, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. Oh, for years when I used to preach, I used to, at the end of every Sunday service, judge how well I did by how many people walked the aisle. And my poor wife would go home every Sunday to listen to me say, how did I do? How did I do? But you know what? I've gotten to the point now that I realize this is the role God's given me. And I pray and I study and I prepare and I try to preach and teach in the power of the Spirit. And if you get it, praise God, Jim didn't open your eyes. And I have to just rest in the fact that this is what he's called me to do by his mercy. And I pray he lets me do it for as long as I can. And when he's done with me, he's done with me. Until then, I ain't worried about trying to make things happen. Oh, unfortunately, and that's another message for another time. But we live in a church age that has come up with all these schemes and plans and bells and whistles and marketing schemes. And you know what? If we would just do this, we can double our attendance and boom, boom, boom. And let me just say something to you, folks. You can do a lot of ministry in the flesh, and it counts for nothing before God. I don't want to be a part of things that are of man's flesh. I actually, and drives my family in our ministry teams frustratingly angry sometimes. Not angry, more frustrated, I guess is a better way to put it. I will go to the other side. I don't want to market. I don't want to advertise. I want God to do what he's going to do. I don't want to try to help him. I don't want anything that even smacks of me trying to help him. I want God to get the glory. And I want to trust in his power. But he's given us this mercy for a reason. So I want you to start praying about, okay, Lord, thank you for my salvation. But you've got works that you prepared in advance for me to do. You've left me here on the earth for a reason. What is that? Now, again, Satan doesn't want you to know that, first of all. But once you have your eyes open to that truth, he's going to say, well, you better do it now. Don't get sucked into that lie. He'll show you. Is God patient? Is there a chance that maybe you haven't really been living out the reason for why God gave you mercy? I think the answer is yes, right? Well, guess what? He even knew it was going to take you this long to figure it out. Did it take Paul a little while to figure it out? Of course it did. He went trying to preach to the Jews right away. Synagogue, 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 synagogue. And then finally, he was like, oh, okay, I understand now, God. You want me to go to the Gentiles. But he still had a heart for the Jews. Folks, let me just tell you. God knows. He's patient. But I cannot stress to you enough. 
What finding out the reason why God gave you mercy, how, and, what, and, and just moving into that, what joy that brings. When we stop serving God out of obligation, but in a true response of worship and gratitude for his mercy to us, our service slash worship will be acceptable. Let me say this to you one more time. When we stop serving God out of obligation, but in a true response of worship and gratitude for his mercy to us, our service slash worship will be acceptable. Now, I'm going somewhere for why I said it the way I said it, but let me just point out something to you real quick from Revelation 2, and then we'll come back to that service worship thing I kept stressing. Go to Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 5. We have a church that Jesus knew their works, and they're doing good stuff, but he had a problem with them. Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 5. To the angel or to the church of Ephesus, in Ephesus, write these things. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are, and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. You're, you're keeping faithful. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. By the way, removing the lampstand, remember the lampstand represents the church. I'll just remove that church from that area if you guys stop, don't stop doing things the right way, but the wrong way. The right things, I guess, is the best way to put it. The right things, the wrong way. Is it possible to do the right things for Jesus, but have it not be worth anything? Yes. When we do it out of duty and obligation, instead of it being out of a love response. Therefore, Paul begs us, because of the mercies of God, to offer our bodies. Does he command us? No, he begs us. Why? Because he doesn't want it to be under compulsion, but of our own free will, our own will. Now, let me say something to you. Do you struggle sometimes with it wanting to be your will to serve the Lord? If you're honest, the answer is yes. i got good news for you. Write down this verse. We'll look at it later on, maybe, but don't need to go there now. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. Don't miss that. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. Is that what I said? Did I say Corinthians? I'm sorry. 2 Thessalonians 3.5. 2 Thessalonians 3.5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. You ready for this? Everything that he wants for you to do, he will give you the ability to do it. You have to ask him, Lord, I want to serve you out of love and not out of obligation. I want to serve you out of worship instead of duty. Could you change my heart? Ask him. For anything that he has for you that's according to his will, believe that he will, guess what's going to happen? He's going to do it. Your heart will change. Your heart will change. Now, look again at Romans 12.1. I want you to see something. In Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your, my translation says, spiritual worship. 
Now, they don't all say worship, do they? Some of your translations say reasonable what? Service. Some say spiritual service of worship. Some of you say that, spiritual service of worship? I think that's the best one. Here's why. Listen closely. I can't wait to show this to you. In the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the words service and worship are the exact same thing. When you serve God, you are actually worshiping God. When you're worshiping God, you're actually serving God. What's hurt us over the years in the church is the fact that some of us have been taught that worship is singing and praising and just saying, God, you're awesome, and service is going to work for God. Working in the kitchen or working in the nursery, that's serving God. But no, we worship God when we go in the sanctuary and sing a few songs. Listen to me carefully, and I'll show it to you in the scriptures. The words service and worship are interchangeable in the Bible because they both mean the same thing. Go to Psalm 100, verse 2. Psalm 100, verse 2. My translation here in the English Standard Version says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come into His presence with singing. Anybody have a word that doesn't say serve? It says what? It says worship, doesn't it? Worship the Lord with gladness. Well, which is it? Serving the Lord with gladness or worshiping the Lord with gladness? The answer is yes. Go now to... Acts chapter 17, look at verse 25. Acts 17, look at verse 25. Paul's talking and introducing them there in the Areopagus and Mars Hill to the God who made everything. He says, in, we'll start in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by, by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all man, to all mankind life and breath and everything. Hang on for a second. Some of your translations don't say serve. They say what? Worship. Nor is he worshipped by human hands. Now, I want you to see this first, and then we have to deal with the problem. The word service and the word worship are the exact same thing. They're interchangeable. If you're worshiping God, you'll be serving God. If you're serving God, you're worshiping God. They're not two different things. They're the same. But wait a minute. Didn't we just see in Psalm 100 verse 2 that the scripture says to serve or worship the Lord with gladness? Yet over in Acts 17, 25, it says he's not served or worshiped by human hands. How do we worship or serve a God that's not worshiped or served by human hands? Yeah, through the Spirit. See, we've been taught that serving God is working for God with our effort. I have, as a pastor for years, dealt with so many people who have been faithful and committed to the church. We might even give them a banquet for their 50 years of faithful service. But they did nothing by faith. And they usually were grumpy old curmudgeons. But we honored their faithful service. But you know why it wasn't real worship? Is because they were doing it with their own effort trying to earn approval. They wanted the points. If you even messed with their area, you were in trouble. Back in Matthew chapter 6, we're not going to turn there, verse 24, Jesus said this. He says, um, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. It's impossible to serve God and money. 
Now, actually, in all of our translations, they all say serve there. And I'm glad because that helps us. How do you serve money? Do you work for money in the point that, hey, money, I'll wash your socks or, hey, money, I'll cut the grass for you? Is that how you serve money? No. How do you serve money? You live your life in such a way that you depend on money to take care of you. You might work really hard. You might save. You might steal. You might beg. You might whatever. But you live your life in such a way that your dependence is on money to take care of you. Correct? That's worshiping money. Your faith, your dependence, your trust is in money to take care of you. Listen to me. That's how you serve God. That's how you worship God. That's why Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, they might come and sing a song in church, but I know that it's real not, really not worship. You don't serve God by working for God. Oh, but you worship God when you do whatever it is he's asked you to do out of trust and dependence that he's going to make it work. When you worship God, you serve God, you serve God, you worship God. It's the same thing. And when we start to realize that true worship is, remember how, like you talked about earlier, Sheila, true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. True worship of God does end up having action, but it's action that is lined up with, this is what God has asked me to do, and I'm doing it for him out of love, in response to his mercy, in grace. I just want to just do this. And by the way, when you're serving God that way and worshiping God that way, you don't care if anybody else notices, and you don't care if anybody else shows up and helps you. How many times have I heard, I was at the church work day and only three people showed up. Well, it sounds like you did it for the wrong reasons. Because if you're doing it for the Lord, you don't care if anybody else shows up. Remember Martha? Lord, tell my sister to help me. By the way, she was working hard for Jesus. But was it worship? No. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. How we worship God is we trust him and we do what he says. And by the way, that will affect how we treat each other. Let me say something to you. Before we move into what are your roles, what are your gifts next week? I don't want you to know what your role or your gift is and have you try to go do it for Jesus. I want you to learn how to just say, Lord, thank you for this choosing me for this part. I want to just enjoy it. Let me do it for you. And if anybody notices, who cares? And if, any, if anybody helps me, I don't care. I just want to do what you want me to do. I've been in ministry so long, though. One of the things I hated was the end of the uh, vacation Bible school or the end of the uh, Christmas production where you got in trouble if you didn't recognize everybody who played a part in all the different things. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you. The Bible teaches us to say thank you, yet at the same time, if you're worried about people getting mad because their name wasn't on the program, that's not a good thing either. Serving and worship are the same thing, and true worship and service of God is, is a loving, grateful dependence, obedience, and trust. Oh, by the way, look at verse 2. In order to worship God like this, which is our spiritual worship, Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Whatever it is you have for me to do, Lord, I'm going to do it in view of your mercy. Whatever role you have for me, I'm willing to do it. The only way we can do that is this, though. Look at verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. In order to worship God like this as a living sacrifice, we must renew our minds. And by the way, I'm going to add a word. It's actually there in the Greek. It's just it's there in the, in the, it's, it's in the Greek. It's not in the English. Daily. I don't mind you writing in your Bible daily. Right by renew our minds. In the Greek, it's a daily renewal of your mind. It's not a, I've renewed my mind. I'm good for the next year. No, you're going to need to do it again tomorrow morning. You're going to need to do it again the next day. And throughout the day, you'll have to renew your mind because the flesh is going to fight you and the devil's going to fight you and the world's going to fight you. Let this sink in, what he says next, though. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the daily renewing of our mind that by testing, this is a process, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he's going to move right into, when we get to next week, verse 3, the different types of roles in the body. Don't miss this. Do you remember how we ended up last week? What did Paul say at the end of chapter 11? Didn't he say, you're never going to figure God out? Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been, received something from God that God owes you and you should repay him? Who's ever been his counselor? This is all about him. You're never going to figure God out, but... If you willingly offer yourself as a living sacrifice and you renew your mind and say, Lord, not my will, but yours. What is your plan for my life? How do I fit into the body? Well, how would you like to use me? What, what did you have in mind in saving me? What work have you prepared in advance for me to do? I'm willing to do it. Listen closely. Then you'll know what his will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. You will know how you fit into the body. It will happen. Now, but here he also says, not only that we'll know his will, before we look at God's yet unrevealed will, I want to close tonight by looking at his will for us that has already been revealed. That's what we're going to do in the rest in 10 minutes that we have left here tonight. I want us to take some time before we move into the unrevealed part of his will yet. Let's deal with the part that has already been revealed. You understand? Why do you think God wants us to deal with the part that's already been revealed before he tells us the unrevealed? Well, look at it this way. If you're not going to do what I've already showed you, God says, why am I going to take the time to show you what's next? Do you understand? It's like telling your kid to go clean their room. And then they say, okay, what would you like me to do? <laughs> but they didn't clean the room. What are you going to say? Clean the room. Yeah, but there's other things you'd like me to do besides clean my room. I'm sure, yeah, there are. And some of these you really will enjoy. Like getting the car keys and going to get some milk for us. I remember when I first got my license. Anybody need anything? <laughs> I wanted to drive. It was a blast. But I wasn't going to get the keys until... I was proven that I was faithful to clean my room when I was asked to clean my room. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's look at what his will is for us right now that has been revealed before we move into next week some of the unrevealed will. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 17 through 21. Verse, Ephesians 5 verse 17. Therefore, 
Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, you wanna, don't be foolish. Let's understand what the will of the Lord is. Just like you would be under the control of alcohol by when you get drunk, offer yourselves under the, to the Spirit of the Lord within you and be under the control of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, actually in the Greek, is be being filled. It's a continual thing. In other words, if I'm to be being filled with the Spirit, I need to keep drinking. Isn't that interesting? Don't get drunk with wine and be under the control of alcohol. Has then ever heard anybody that was drunk come back and say, I don't know who that was. That was the alcohol talking, right? That wasn't me. The alcohol was in control. In the same way, let the Holy Spirit have control. By the way, the Bible also teaches, though you'll never go, I don't know who that was. No, no, no. The Bible actually teaches you'll still be in some control as the Spirit of God's in control. But that's another message for another time. But listen closely. This is the will of God. That you be being filled with the Spirit. I think that sounds like offering my body to Him as a living sacrifice. Saying no to the world and to my flesh and yes to the Spirit, which is my worship and service of God. But then what else does He say? What are some other specific things He tells us to do? He tells us to sing songs. Make melody in our hearts to the Lord. We're also to do what? Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. With that submitting to one another, jump over one book to Philippians 2. Look at verses 1 through 8. So, Christians, in view of His mercy, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we're not going to keep reading because too often we jump into how he's going to be rewarded and glorified and every name and every knee is going to bow. But listen, don't miss what it says. Jesus said... What's the role you have for me, Father? Isn't that what he said? And the Father said, I got a role for you. But it's going to require not only dying, it's going to require death on a cross, the worst kind. And he said, okay. My flesh doesn't want to do it. But not my will, but yours. I lay it down. Did Jesus offer his body as a living sacrifice? Daily. Daily. Oh, but at the same time, were there not other people expecting Jesus to do other things? And he kept saying no. He only did what the Father had him do. Lord, the one you love is sick. Get here. He waited two more days. By the way, he would have been fired if he was a pastor. Would he not have been fired? Yes, he would have. 
But the father said, I want you to wait. I got a bigger thing in mind and I have something in mind. Jesus walked with the father and did the role the father had for him. Lord, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. Not my job. Lord, tell my sister to help me. She's fine. I could go on and on and on. One of the best people at saying no was Jesus. But I don't want you to get so good at saying no, you don't say yes to anything. You need to find out what are the yeses that God has for you. And some of you, God's gifted you to say yes five times. Others two, others one. You understand what I'm saying? Don't measure how much you're doing compared to everybody else. Don't measure how much other people are doing compared to you. Find out what it is that God has for you to do. We'll get into how do we do that in more next week. But did you notice how the Christ-like attitude of humility and submission stemmed from a proper understanding of God's love and mercy toward us? Look at verse 1 again of Philippians 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit and affection and sympathy, then let it be shown by being of the same mind, having the same love and full accordance. Did you see that? It comes out of our walk with the Lord. That sounds like in view of His mercy. Why should we forgive other people according to the Scriptures? Because what? Because He forgave us. When you really understand that He's forgiven you, it's easy to forgive other people. When you think you've earned God's favor because you're a righteous person, you're not a very forgiving person. You're not very merciful. Oh, blessed are the merciful, though they'll receive mercy. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Listen to verses 1 through 17. Hear it again. More of the will of God. If then, or since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden now with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's worship of these things. On account of these, the wrath of God's coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. By the way, if he's writing to Christians and saying you must put them away, does it sound like Christians are still wrestling with some of these things? Anybody in this room still wrestle with some of these things? Yes. Don't think for a second. I'm a Christian now. I don't deal with any of that. Oh, yeah, you will tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, but you have to learn how to put it away and say yes to the Spirit. Oh, by the way, sometimes you'll have victory. Sometimes you won't. And you need how to learn to renew your mind in the truth of who you are in Christ and thank Him for that, and let's get going from here. Did Peter deny Jesus three times? Sure. And every time Jesus didn't say, then why did you deny me after? He said, if you, do you love me? He said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. He then said, let's get going from here. I love the fact that God does that. You and I are going to fall into some of these things. But we need to renew our minds and who we are in Christ and what he's done. And let's move on from there. You'll find yourself growing in these things. Huh? He says, uh, verse 8, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not a Greek or Jew or circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And put on then, don't just put off, but put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed called in one body and be thankful, there it is again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Folks, this sounds to me like the will of God is that I live my life continually with my mind on God, my spirit and soul sensitive to the spirit of God within me, Knowing his word, meditating on his word, thinking about him, talking with him, resting in him as we do everything that we're to do, whatever it is, do it. Talking to God, resting in God, trusting in God. That is be being filled under the control of the spirit. And let me tell you, the more you do it, the more you'll see evidence as you look back of the spirit. You won't even have to work at it. I don't want anybody going out and saying, I'm going to be more patient. You've already failed. I'm going to be more loving. No, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to thank you for everything. I'm going to take my eyes off of where I am in the ranking order of all these other people. I'm not going to look only at my interests, but I'm going to look to the interest of others. I'm going to just worship you. I'm going to sing to you. And if it's going to bother people around me, I'll keep it quieter but I just want to talk to you. Oh, I don't have time to tell you the story. The Lord opened the door for me today. Wasn't on my schedule, but I got to play golf. Now, trust me, golf's on my schedule, but it wasn't today. But something happened where I felt like God said, yes, and I'm not kidding you. My wife will tell you. I called her and said, I'm coming home, changing my clothes. I'm going to run. I had, had like a three-hour window. And by the way, I can play 18 holes walking in two and a half hours. And I can move right along. Don't have time to tell you the story. But because I try to live like this, I'm always looking for what God's doing everywhere I go. And I had an encounter today that was so of God that if some of you want to hear about it, come grab me after the recording. Some of you that are watching online, I'm really sorry. You should have been here. But it's an amazing God story. But it only happened because I was still talking with God the whole time. That's what the Bible says that we're to do. As we close, let me say this. Do you understand why it's important that we first learn how to live out the will of God and do the will of God of being nice to each other and thankful to God, not jockeying for position before we find out what our role is? You understand what I'm saying? Because you won't be able to do your role the way God wants you to, as your spiritual service of worship, if you're going to do it the wrong way and beat everybody up around you in the process and your eyes aren't on the Lord. And if you've ever been involved in the music program at some of your churches, you have a lot of people that wanted to sing the solo. Oh, but it's not just in the music department. It's in the children's department. It's in the youth department. It's in the group of preachers all wanting to be the senior pastor. 
We're going to get to that next week when we get to verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each of you with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. Before we start showing you your role, God says, let's, let's let me have you do what I've first shown you already. Learn how to just walk with me and so trust that if I have something for you to do, it'll happen and nobody will stop it. If I don't think God will actually open the doors for me that he has for me, I'm going to see you as competition and my enemy because I want to serve God. Do you see it? I'm not serving God the right way when I'm trying to do things for God and run you over in the process. A lot more next week. I love you all. Thanks for coming.